yesterday. His name is Jim Childs. He serves with ABWE, Association of Baptists for World Evangelism. And he's specifically part of, a, a, I don't know, it's an initiative of that or an arm of that called Every Ethne. Ethne is where we get our word for ethnic. It's where we get our word for people groups. Every Ethne is an initiative of ABWE whose mission is to equip local churches to reach across cultures with the gospel without crossing borders. Isn't that, so, so we're one of the, how do we reach people? We don't have to travel to another country. We don't have to cross an ocean. There are cultural differences all in our community right here. And so we can be, learn and be equipped to reach people in our community who might have a different ethnic culture, different subculture, different way of thinking. They're all about how do we equip people to do that. And so we had their team here yesterday, had a great training yesterday, and Jim's going to stay on. He's going to share his story. And it's a, it's a wonderful story of how God's working in his life. So let's give Jim a huge hand. Come on up here, Jim. I'm going to turn the table over to you. And uh, appreciate you being here. My pleasure. All Thank right. You. Yes. <laughs> Get caught up in the mask here for a second. Bear with me. Thank you, Pastor. Wow. What a morning. What a morning of praising our Lord and Savior. Today, um, I I, want to thank you for allowing me to be here and share today. And I just want to frame a little bit about what the Lord has laid on my heart. Um, So you know a little bit about what to expect. First of all, I am a missionary with ABWE, North, uh, and the North American arm is the Every Ethnic Peace. So I travel to churches and get to uh, speak. I get to uh, teach in the seminar like we had yesterday. I also get to minister on a personal level to individuals and to families. So what a joy it is. I was a, a pastor for six years before that, associate pastor in a church in Sarasota, Florida, which is where I'm still based out of. And uh, so I, I actually appreciate the break in the weather. <laughs> you guys are saying, oh, another great day. I'm thinking, yeah, great day. It's great. So it's, uh, I, I really appreciate the opportunities. But the the, today I want to share a little bit about a topic. It's going to seem like it's about a topic that's a little bit uncomfortable for people, maybe controversial, certainly a hot topic. And I just want to share a little bit about it. I'm going to share from the heart. I want to frame it that way because I want you to understand I'm not targeting anything or anybody. And as, we, as I talk through my story, what the Lord has done in my life and in many others, I, I pray that you will hear it from the heart. That's how I want, to, want you to receive it. And if, you, if I say some things that you may disagree with, you may not like, might make you uncomfortable, I'm going to ask you, just stay seated. Let the Lord work. And if you still disagree at the end, because you don't know where I'm headed toward the end of this conversation, so don't make assumptions as well. Just kind of track with me. Let the Lord speak. And if you still disagree with me, I want to talk to you about it afterwards. I honestly do, because I want to hear other viewpoints, and I want to pray with you and want to talk, because ultimately what we're talking about is glorifying our Lord Jesus Christ that we just sang about, that we just worshiped, and we are still worshiping. So thank you for the opportunity to be here. You know, this won't be, by that being said, this won't be your typical sermon. Um, I won't have a main point and three sub-points and five sub-sub-points. Uh, I basically am speaking from the heart, and it's going to be talking about my story. So from there, let's jump in. (laughs) 
I, I will tell you this too. One of the, the agreements when I stepped onto staff at 360 Church about 10 years ago now, um, one of the agreements was my gift to them was I wouldn't speak from the pulpit and their gift to me was I wouldn't have to. So I'm not uh, a trained speaker. It's not something that, that I got excited about doing. It was one thing that the Lord had for me and said, do you have some stuff that I want you to share? And the only way to, the best way to do that is stand before people. So I just asked for a little grace in that. I uh, just kind of frame it that way. You know, I, I want to talk a little bit about my journey because it, it illustrates, it, it really ties back to God's truth. But in the culture today, we are told, we all probably know individuals who have identify as gay, lesbian, or transgendered, or many other, uh, and many other identities as well. When I was uh, about 20, I took on a gay identity, and I'm going to talk about that and why I use that terminology. But I'd like to share with you a bit about the journey that it took me to get to that point, because I think it's important for us to understand a few things about our friends and neighbors and family members who identify as gay. And I think it's important that we remember that God's word is what everything should be filtered through. And every opinion, every worldview needs to be based on God's word first. The reason is because God's our creator. So God put us together as human beings. Sometimes, sometimes we, there seems to be a trend of thought that almost implies that God is sort of the taskmaster who created some rules for us to live by, and now he's going to make sure we do that. And he puts preachers in place to tell you that. And, and we forget that God was actually our creator, that he designed us, every bit of us. And he knows, he, he designed us for his purposes. And God knows then where, what's going to make us flourish, how to get the most out of this life, how to live life in his purposes and how to flourish. And that's what the Word of God is. It's not a rule book to keep you in line so much as it is God has a purpose for us and wants to be in relationship with us and be used and to use us for his purposes, to use us to draw others, to minister to others, to bring others to Christ for eternity. That's what this is all about. So when I'm talking today, I'm not trying to point fingers and say people are acting badly. You'll see what I mean when I get there. When I was about uh, as, as early as I can remember, actually, I, I was, my family was, uh, my dad was a big Georgia redneck because I'm from Georgia, and he, he, uh, he described himself as that, so I can do that as well. That means he was a little taller than me, much bigger than me, loved his beer, loved to curse, was loud, loved to fish. He ruled the roost in the home, and he may not have always been right, but he was never in doubt. There was no room for wiggle room for argument or discussion about what my dad said to do. He treated our, my, my sisters and myself and my mom with a little bit of what I would consider disrespect, but that was his mannerism. That's what it felt like to me anyway. So with that, I'll share that I was his only son. I had two older sisters, and my dad's job with me was to make a man out of me. So I want to frame it with that. His job was to make a man out of me, and he was going to do the best he could. So 
when he would chastise me, when he would make, not make fun of me, when he would, would correct me and try to inspire me, I almost took it as criticism, and I basically took it as I'm not good enough. So at a very young age, we all formulate our own little worldviews, and we don't even know it's happening, but we, it does happen. From the time we are in the crib, we start formulating a worldview. Who do we trust? Who are we like? Who are we uh, less like? Who's safe in our, in our little world? And as we grow, God's designed us as, as boys to sort of need that father figure and the affirmation from our dad and, and all of that once we pull away from mom. And so in my world, what that looked like was a man who constantly told me I was doing something wrong. I had this image of what masculinity should be, and I wasn't anything like that because I wasn't like my dad. And when he would say things like he, would, he was trying to bond, he would say, hey, let's go fishing. And the whole thing was, uh, well, son, why are you excited about that fish you got? Throw that one back. They're, they're bigger fish. You need to, that's just, that's silly. Um, he would say things like, oh, when I was going to play soccer, he wanted to be a football player. I played soccer. And his thing was, well, your, your mom will go to those games. When I, when I got some, uh, made great grades, one in the fourth grade, it was like, well, if you played sports, it would have been a better year for you. There were always something that I wasn't getting right and, in my mind. And he was simply trying to make sure I was going to be my best. But I received it as though I wasn't doing anything right. I'm not good enough. And what that did, because I didn't connect with him on his personality as well. I wasn't, I wasn't competitive. I wasn't, um, uh, I wasn't competitive or aggressive. So when I started you know, bonding or, or getting around other guys, little boys and, and up, I didn't feel like I was the same as they were. I felt really different. I wanted to bond with them, and I wanted to get out and play in the same ways they were playing, but I just wasn't good at it. And that then, of course, because kids are kids, would result in being made fun of. So that led me to believe certain things about myself, which was I'm different than other boys. I'm less than other boys. I'm not as good as them. On the flip side, I could hang out with my sisters, and we could just talk all day long. I didn't want to be a girl, but I knew I could, they, they seemed to get me more. So I, I guess where I'm saying is these experiences caused me to believe certain things about myself up until, you know, all through, through the years until adolescence when uh, all the hormones are raging and all of that. And at that point, what I was looking for, what I, I guess what I initially I was looking for, I felt opposite other boys. So when attraction started happening in my world, I was attracted to what I viewed as opposite, which was other boys. When that realization happened, it was uh, devastating to me. Now, my, I wasn't raised in a church, a family that went to church. I was raised in a family who said, we believe in God, we will always be moral people. Uh, but my dad was, a, basically he said, those Baptists always have their hand out <laughs> for money. Um, so stay away from them. But, so that was kind of the attitude I grew up with. So it, it wasn't that I was raised in this Christian, deeply rooted, faithful home, but I already knew when I recognized I had this attraction to other guys that it was shameful, and I didn't want it. It was just internally, oh, what is this about? So I tried just to hide it from that. Now here's, I'm going to pause just for a moment and tell you why I'm sharing this. We hear over and over again, I've always felt gay from those people in the community. 
over and over again, it's a very common narrative. I must have been born gay because I've always been gay. What they might be saying is, I always felt inferior. I always felt different than other boys or girls. And this is a reason I felt different is because I was gay. And they're, they're, putting, they're giving sort of an explanation for why they were sort of miserable and bullied and felt different. So you see, it, it, it's kind of a twisted way of doing it. But I wanted to explain a little bit about how you arrive at this sort of self. Um, it's a self view or view of yourself. The brain says, wait, something's not right. Oh, we can fix it by one way to do it is to give you the same sex attraction. So that developed in me. When I realized it, I was devastated. I didn't know what to do. Because here's the thing. I also wanted to date. I also wanted to, in my mind, even at 12 and 13, I wanted to have a family. I wanted to have a wife and kids. That was my goal. And to have this attraction was something that was going to blow that out of the water, as well as thinking, I don't even know what to do with it. How do people even live with this? So, and it was shameful enough that I wouldn't tell anybody about it. So I, I hid it. I, I just stuffed it down in my mind because I couldn't tell anybody. And I didn't let it rule me either. I didn't let it, I didn't act on anything. I just knew I had these weird attractions. But I wasn't about to, to let anybody know about it. And I certainly wasn't going to act out on it or try to have a romantic relationship. It was all in my head. It was all sort of fantasy, if you will. In the meantime, I'm going to be, you know, pursuing, I had crushes on girls uh, and would date. When I was 14, I actually came to Christ. And I'll tell you, there was, it was about, it was a Thursday night visitation from my older sister had started going to church. And I visited her church a few times. She, at one point, some uh, three guys knocked on the door on a Thursday night and said, hey, we saw you filled out a card. We'd like to tell you about Jesus. And I'm like, oh, no. Because I had sat in the pew a few enough times, and back in the day when they used to do Just As I Am as an invitation hymn every Sunday, and about the, many times I'd like hold the back of the pew like, I can't go up there, I can't go up there, I can't go up there. 17 verses in, I'm like, I can't, still can't go up there, you know. <laughs> but this time, these guys were at my door, they're in my face, and they're asking me questions, and they're applying the message of the gospel to my own world, my own 14-year-old worldview, and I realized that I needed a Savior, so I, I accepted Christ then. I started going to church almost immediately, got involved with the youth group, uh, started reading the Bible, learning to pray, and the first prayer was, God, take this same-sex attraction away. The second prayer was, God, take the same-sex attraction away. The third prayer was, God, please. I don't know how to navigate this. I'm so ashamed of this. And I don't want to feel different than everybody else. I don't want to be singled out. Take this away. Help me feel better was almost the truth of what I was asking. And he didn't. So I just kept it stuffed. And, I, and I, I, if you notice, I'm putting my hand motion here, like over to the side, because I will tell you this. What I did know enough about was that that attraction that I had was not core to my being. It was simply something I was experiencing. So at that point, it was still just something I was experiencing and stuffing down. So with that, my, I, I, I pursued Christ as much as I could into the Word of God, going to church as much, every chance I had, serving, learning, growing. 
and never telling anybody about the secret. And I always feel a little different than the other guys, but also dating. So I remember when I was 16, I was at a, at a youth retreat, and it was one evening, it was around a bonfire, we'd been worshiping and praying, and, and I really felt impressed on my heart that the Lord said, I want you to go into full-time vocational ministry. And I just surrendered that. I said, okay, Lord, I will. I went to a, my pastor, I went to my youth pastor first, and the pastor there at the, at the youth retreat, and talked to them about this, and, and they affirmed that what I was feeling was pro- or thinking was probably truly God's call in my life, and because they also knew the way that I was serving before. So I, I just thought, wow, God, I don't know what to do with this same-sex attraction, but I'm still going to go toward you. So we st- I just pursued that, and it was re- really interesting, because in that church at the time, uh, as part of the youth group, I sort of became a leader in the youth group and almost an example, to be honest, about, look, Jim is young and he's going to give his life to service, full-time vocational service. Look how he's serving. Look how he's growing in Christ. And, and that felt good. I didn't realize it at the time, but there was a lot of pride now involved in this thing. So now, as I get more, in my mind, built up and elevated, I can't talk about the same-sex attraction to anyone else because that would change the whole view of me. Now I would be that guy. Now they would question even my salvation. Now they would question my right to love God. What, what, what if, what if, what if? And I couldn't bear the thought of being rejected by the people that I love that I thought were holding me up as well. So I just kept stuffing it down. I did fall in love uh, with a girl. I call her name was Susie, the most beautiful girl that I'd ever known. And dated, and we started dating. I was really close to her family. She was close to my family. When I went to college, she was right there saying, yeah, I'm ready to be that pastor's wife. So we, the plan was go to college, go to seminary. We would get married somewhere in between there. And, and in the meantime, at, at University of Georgia, where I was going to school, I started, I was a leader in the Baptist campus ministry. I got a, a part-time work as a youth director at a small church. Outside of, uh, outside of Athens, and um, just serving. I was on a mission trip, several mission trips. I would teach Bible studies, and uh, all the time I had that secret of same-sex attraction that would play in my mind, and it was, it, I, I describe it like a, a, a volleyball underwater in a pool if you hold it down. And, you know, it's, there's a lot of pressure for it to come floating to the surface, and you push it back down again, and then it kind of comes back up and you push it back down. That's kind of what this same-sex attraction thing was to me. It was shameful. And I continued through the years, God, take this away. I wasn't going to, and I was still planning on marriage, and not to fix that, but I just thought, if you're not taking it away, God, and I certainly can't tell anybody about it, you'll just, you'll fix it somehow. And that's was my mindset, but it was shameful. So as we're moving along, my dad came along and had some bit of advice for me because the more I was talking about marriage, he said, he came and said, hey, son, that gal you're dating, she's pretty. She's a nice gal. She's got champagne taste. Son, you're, you're going to be a preacher. You're going to be a beer budget. You'll never be able to support her in the way she wants to be supported. Now, that was my dad's way of saying there's some rough roads ahead, right? For me, here's what I heard. Because of the lies I believed about myself and fought against all my life internally, I heard, 
I received that message to say that I was never be man enough to be a husband to any woman or father to any child. See how twisted the enemy can twist our thinking? In those moments, and I just remember that time frame, as I was processing that, these same-sex attractions started to really intensify. The desire to have a romantic relationship, is, it, it kind of makes me cringe now, but that's the way that I was feeling, because I felt cringe-worthy at that point, that those feelings intensified, and I realized I had to do something to process this, to get, figure it out. I didn't know what to do, but I knew it was swirling around in my head and my emotions, and I had to get rid of it. I, had to, I didn't know what to do. You know, who, I couldn't even ask people to pray for me. So with that, I knew I had to do something. I had to hit it head on. I broke up with Susie. I left school. I pulled out of all ministry and moved out back to where I was from, which is in Atlanta area. And thinking I would join a church there, a faith community who didn't know my story, didn't know anything about me, and therefore maybe they wouldn't already have a preconceived notion of who I was or how I should be, and I might be able to be authentic with them and process with somebody within that church, the pastor or somebody. But I realized that soon that that wasn't going to happen because during one of the young adult Bible uh, studies, during sort of a round-robin uh, prayer request, one of, the, one of the leaders said, y'all pray for my hairdresser because he's gay and I don't want him to go to hell. And while that was a very heartfelt um, prayer request, the message it received to me was, uh-oh, this isn't a safe place either. They don't know me, but I certainly don't want to be that guy now. So I still had to figure this thing out. So I went into, I just put it out there, I just went into a gay bar and started exploring what that, that was like. And in that, in that mess at moments, I, I started to connect with people who understood the brokenness and the pain and the confusion that I'd lived with for so long. That, to me, was more important at that moment than the people that I could connect with on my faith. Now these people get the pain. They get the difficulty. And what they're telling me is, it's okay. You were born gay, and you need to embrace it and move it from the experience into your core self, and nobody can ever argue with it. That's the messaging that was coming, coming across and it felt good. And I felt like I was part of something in a way that I wasn't part of in the church world. And that would be a, a community that really got all of me. But it was interesting. They couldn't accept my Christianity. <laughs> so I was actually trading a community for community. I, I wrestled with it, though. I mean, I didn't just jump in. I actually did wrestle with it in terms of the identity. I thought, well, okay, Lord, I guess I am gay. I will just say it. If I experience this, if I have these feelings, I'm going to take that as my identity. God, what do I do with it now? Because I'm looking in Scripture, and I see what you tell us, but I don't, maybe we re- mistranslated through the years. Maybe it wasn't really, you really did, did God, did you really say? Taking it back to the Garden of Eden, did God really say? And so I tried to twist it and say, wow, that, and in my heart, I couldn't. I knew for a fact God's design was not for anyone to be same-sex attracted and to live out that. It's not God's design. And it was like, well, now I really have a choice. Hmm. And I started thinking, well, maybe if I get in a relationship that's sort of patterned after marriage with somebody with similar values, that God would bless that. And I soon realized that was a big pipe dream. First of all, God wouldn't bless it. Second of all, two men, or two women for that matter, 
I'm just going to say it really bluntly here. It's impossible for two men or two women to fulfill God's purposes of marriage. It's not the design. He created marriage. He put us together for purposes. Two men can't do those purposes. They can commit to one another. They can have a ceremony. But it's not going to be recognized by, as a marriage by God. It's simply a, a human, uh, almost, for lack of a better word, pagan um, ritual, almost, to that point. So it's, and, and I share that not to be angry, not to be mean, but to say the truth of God's truth. So when I have somebody say, uh, when I, people talk about gay wedding or, or parents come to me and say their, their child is about to get married, what if they come to Christ? Will they have to get divorced? I'm like, it's okay. Yes, they will, but it's okay because it's really not a divorce in God's eyes. It never was a marriage in God's eyes. God cannot bless this kind of union. So I just, just wanted to make that clarification. We all need to, as Christ followers, believe that. But we believe it with compassion. <laughs> we understand that people who are not following Christ do not have the wherewithal to have that understanding of the Holy Spirit in them, to understand that. So we have to have compassion when we're talking about that with them. In that, I, I finally walked away from God. Basically, I just said, okay, God, I've got to go over here. And it was an awful life, guys. It's toxic. But nobody knew it. <laughs> because now, I had to hide from the Christians in my life that knew I was living this lifestyle. I couldn't show them the pain. I couldn't show them that everything wasn't perfect because then they say, well, see, we told you so. Christianity you know, if you were living for God, you wouldn't be in this pain. It's because of the life choices you're making. So with that, I, I, got, I got into a relationship. I had a 23-year relationship that was, was really painful. But you get used to it. Here's the thing, guys. When we start feeding this, these ungodly desires, when we jump into it and start aligning with these mindsets, Romans talks about it a bit. Our thinking changes and shifts, and we become less clear about our thought process. And all we want to do is feel better. So within this, I found community, I had a partner, and we did life together, bought and sold homes together. We actually lost a few homes, a couple of them, to foreclosure because of bad choices, because behind closed doors, what you didn't see, what I wouldn't show the world, was the dysfunction of our lives, the drug abuse, the the. the, the substance abuse in general, uh, the pain. My partner is bipolar, and, and that created all sorts of issues. It was very codependent. I needed to be needed, and I felt like he needed me. So there was a codependency there that was very unhealthy. There was, a lot, there was even physical abuse. It, it was just nuts. But on the outside, when I'm at work, everything's good. Every, on the outside, you could look, at, and our jobs look great. Our, our social life was good. We could throw great parties. We dressed well. We were just, you know, a great couple. But behind closed doors, the devastation inside was, was pretty bad. That built up that devastation to a point where we had moved from Florida to New Jersey. And I remember while we were there, the, the bipolar issues with, that my partner had was uh, really surfaced, and the depression happened, and he was going to go through um, ECT treatments, shock treatments for depression. We were in New Jersey, no family, no friends. I was there for a job. He wasn't working, and he needed these treatments, so I basically started taking time off to care for him and lost my job there. We ran out of money because he was self-medicating, and I was allowing that as well. So Life got to the point where I had to call his mother, who lived in Florida, and say, I need help with Robert. Can, can we come stay with you? 
until I can get back on my feet. And she said, yes. She's a very strong Christian woman. So she said, yes, of course you can. I won't have you guys not have a roof over your head, but just sleep in separate bedrooms. So she drew a boundary there. And I really, I appreciated it. Robert didn't love it so much, but I appreciated it. I was going there to give, but I want to tell you how badly it got, how bad it had gotten. Everything, we were about to be evicted. So all we could take with us was what would fit into a car. And I was going through, what can I take? And this is, this is I'm, I'm almost 40 at this point. And, and so I'm really, you know, had collected a lot of things over the years. But realizing we had to get out fast. I couldn't afford to rent anywhere. I couldn't afford to do any. I had to borrow money, gas money from Catholic Charities to get to Florida. So we packed the car, and I'm looking for things. And I found an old Bible in the attic. I'm saying, what, what things, small things can I keep? And I found the Bible as I'm going through things that my sister had given me when I came to Christ. And I opened it up, and there were, just kind of flipping through, and there were highlights and notes and dates and underscored. And a, suddenly there's, there was this rush of, and then a, almost simultaneously. I shut that, put it over basically in a trash pile. thought, I'll never have a right to open that again because I've just gone way too far. That's how spiritually devoid it is. See, the years of being away from God had just eroded all of my self-worth. But we had the task to do. So we got in the car and we came to Florida. And I thought I was coming to get help from my partner, but I didn't know I was doing was coming to meet God because God had a different plan. So we get down to Florida and Robert has, Robert was my partner. His mother very strong believer. His sister and brother-in-law, very strong believers. His brother-in-law was one who, uh, he was the profile of, people, of, of a man that, that I was intimidated by. Because during the years that I'm living in this gay lifestyle, which ended up totaled about 30 years, I shunned any Christian that I could. My own sister, who was a pastor's wife, I didn't want her in my life because she, she could, I felt conviction when she was around me, but I said it was because she judged me, so I blamed her. But I had shunned her. So we're, we're there. Uh, the only friends we have are now these Christian people, and I don't trust them because I just know, you know Christians are really going to be harmful to me. They're going to hurt my feelings. They're going to make me feel guilty and feel bad. So I really didn't trust them. And Tom was the profile of the, the really uh, thing that I was actually so intimidated by, but I acted like I just hated them, was this guy who was... Uh, a, man, a man's man. He was heterosexual, successful in business, could, could build anything, hunt, and I think I describe it like this. He could actually kill it, skin it, butcher it up, cook it up, or freeze it and mount it on the wall. He could do all of that kind of thing. He was a man's man, right? And he was a compassionate for the Lord. He was compassionate for helping men find their place in the church, in the body of Christ. That was his passion, and he scared me. Because I, that's what I needed to be. That's what I was supposed to be like, and I wasn't. So I felt inferior, and I didn't want him to judge me, so I wouldn't ever let him in. But there was a Thanksgiving. I remember this. We're sitting outside waiting for dinner, and, and we're sitting outside on his patio with a fire pit, even in Florida. And I'm wondering about that, but that was okay. The point was this. He, he started asking me some questions, and he said, So, Jim, you know, when you guys... You, it looks like you're going through some rough times. Who do you talk to when you go through have some decisions to make? And I was like, what? We're not going through rough times. How dare you? I didn't tell you we had problems. I was in, just, I couldn't believe that he would dare 
insinuate that life wasn't good because I was working so hard to make everything look great. But Tom, being Tom, said, well, you know, can I challenge you just a minute? I said, Tim, you're, you're 40 years old. You're living with your partner's mother. You have nothing to your name. You don't even ha- you're not even working right now. Your partner's on food stamps and disability. Are you sure everything's okay? Now, before I could get up and walk out or, or just lash into him, he said, dude, we're family. Pick up the phone. See, what he did then was uh, he took down the, my defenses. He tore them down because he meant it. Let me help. If that all is swirling around in your mind, you'll never figure it out. But let's help me. Let me help you sort it out. So we started, he started actually help doing that. We met on a weekly basis and started creating a plan of how to get my life back in order, back into job and housing and those sort of things. Not once did he say, you know, you guys, the way you're living, you deserve this. Not once. But at one point he said, hey, Jim, I'm just curious. You know, didn't you say you used to have a faith? used to go to church. I said, yeah, I did. And I told him a little bit about it. And I said, but I've gone too far from God, so I can't ever return. So it's kind of a moot conversation. Well, Tom didn't take that. I thought it would shut him down. He's like, dude, that's not God I know. That's not the God of the Bible. And if you really miss God, I've got a friend who I want you to, want to, want you to introduce you to. I've got a friend who, who can actually help you sort some of that out, if you're interested. And I was. I really miss God. So with some trepidation, I said, okay, your friend, probably the same profile of, of heterosexual, successful, athletic, all of those things. But, okay, I was intrigued. So we did. He, he set up this meeting. And the, the time, the guy's name is Doug. And, and the meeting was in Tom's living room. Doug gets there a little later. So Tom just, hey, come on in. And, and Doug walks in. And what I, uh, what I see walking toward me is a big black Bible with legs. <laughs> That's how I remember it. Because he does have a big black Bible, by the way. But he walks in and he sits down and I'll, this is how I remember it. Opens up the word of God and starts saying scriptures that are really not compatible with homosexuality at all. Just starts reading them. And I'm arguing back at that point. My partner's arguing back. Well, you know, you're, mis- you're misinterpreting that. You're, wait, don't lump me in with, uh, with that kind of person. Oh, you're taking it out of context. We were arguing against what he was trying to say. And he realized he wasn't getting anywhere. I remember this specifically. He did shut the Bible put it aside and say, guys, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Can we agree to disagree? I came in here with an assumption. I don't even know you. I haven't even you know, gotten to know you. Can we get to know each other? So here's a Christian man who says he wants to get to know us. Well, if you want to, <laughs> we'll, we'll let you do it. And we started meeting every week, and he started asking questions. He started getting to know us, questions that made him uncomfortable to hear the answers to, but he knew he could build trust. The more he understood about us, the more he knew how to help, the more he knew how to, how to show the Lord to us. Because, see, if he had prescri- what he tried to do at first was to prescribe a solution to a problem that we weren't willing to admit we had yet. But by getting to know us, he could see and show us, hey, this is how, we, this is how Jesus can help. This is how the Lord helped me. He invited us to his community group that he taught at Sarasota Baptist Church. And it's a couples group. And it's a Sunday morning. And he says, come on and be part of it. Well, I was, I was terrified because I came from the Baptist Church. And I was like, gay couple coming into a couples class? Are you sure that's okay? He's like, just come on. So we go. And, and the, the reception that we got was actually this. It was like, hey, we're here to learn about the Word of God. We're here to grow in our faith, explore our faith. If that's what you guys are here to do, welcome. 
we won't make it about your homosexuality if you don't. And we didn't. I started, started, started working by that point. On Sundays I was working, Robert would keep going to the community group. And in that process, they studied the book of James, they studied the book of Galatians. Probably about a three, four month period there. He came to know the Lord because for the first time in his life, he realized that he needed Jesus Christ because he was born in the human race, not because he was gay. He always thought Christians were telling him he needed Jesus because they didn't like his lifestyle. So for the first time in his life, he was able to realize, oh man, everybody who's born needs a Savior in Jesus Christ. So he accepted Christ with that. He passed away two months later. He's in heaven now because these folks pushed past their discomfort and cared about this person and saw what was important. And, and he is in heaven now because of that. For me, my journey was going to be a little different. It was going to take me a little longer. But when he passed away, it was devastating. But Christians came around me. His mom, his sister, his brother-in-law, we grieved together. My sister came from Minnesota down, the pastor's wife, because her, her brother was hurting. Not to, not to point fingers or to say you need anything. She was just there. To, her, her brother was hurting. Christians showing me grace and showing me love in ways that I didn't know was, were possible because I certainly didn't deserve it. And I had forgotten what the term grace really meant. God met me in that place as well. So I started praying and I started uh, going to church. I couldn't on Sundays very often, but I would go on Wednesday nights when I could and, and I would read my, read my Bible. And a year into that journey, I realized I really, Tom, by the way, was continually connected with me the whole way. Doug, the big black Bible guy, had actually brought his two, his two little girls, 9 and 11, to the hospital to see Mr. Robert because that's what people do as Christians. That's how we minister. He spoke at the funeral, at the, at the memorial, and told about how much he learned from us, not how much he gave us. Christians modeling Christ-like behavior. Now, as I'm, as I'm studying the Word of God and not getting closer to the Lord, I, I asked Pat, the mother. She was 75 at the time. She's about this tall, white hair, sweet, sweet, as a southern lady can be, but her convictions were strong as steel. I said, Pat, I'm not growing. I'm not getting close to God. I don't know what to do. She looks over at me, and I just can see the look on her face, and she says, well, GM, because she's from the South, so it's two syllables. Do you think it's the gay thing? Wow. You wouldn't think that would make such a difference, but that was piercing to my heart. She didn't tell me it was. She asked me to consider that as an option. See, what I had done is I had renounced homosexuality. I just was going to keep going with that and, and then follow God at the same time. So I was kind of one foot in both worlds, basically. And when she just asked me that question, it opened the door for the Lord to jump in. That night I went to the Word of God and opened to, of course, Romans 1. And in case you don't know, it was Romans 1, specifically 27 and onward. So I'm going to read that today because it's important. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Received within themselves. That explained to me all of a sudden why I had had such internal turmoil all through the years. 
Furthermore, since they did not know, think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not be done. Depraved mind, really? Well, yeah, I guess it did. <laughs> Anything against God, all things that were not of God. And then that resulted in becoming filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity, full of envy and murder and strife, deceit and malice. Gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil, and they disobey their parents. They are senseless, father, faithless, and heartless, and ruthless. I saw myself in there. I couldn't deny it. It explains so much. Wow, God, you are allowing sin to play out, and the consequences have come, and this is where I've become. That just describes so much of my life and who I would become. I fell on my knees at that point and said, Lord, I repent. For the first time in my life, I was reading this through the lenses and the filter of the Holy Spirit, not my own feelings. We have to be careful when we're reading the Word of God. and something doesn't register with us and we just resonate with us, we want to filter it through our own feelings. And that's not, our feelings can't be trusted. I said, Lord, forgive me. I don't know what to do with the same-sex attraction. You never took it away. But I won't act on it. I surrender to you everything. And I will not act on this anymore. Would you teach me to be the man you created me to be instead of the man i become? <laughs> wow, did God rush in. He brought other men into my life who started to walk with me, disciple me in an informal way. A group of guys who were the very profile of people that I was intimidated by started loving on me and affirming me and showing me that I was the same as they were, that I had the same sense of adventure. I had the same sense of of desire to be provider, protector, and leader. I had the same internal masculine traits that they had. They just played out differently. I wasn't so different after all. They treated me like one of them. I wasn't a project. We were a group of guys who were climbing a wall. And so their point was this on Saturdays. Their point was this. We're here. We're coming together, we're praying for one another, we're, we're sharing with one another, we're getting, challenging one another on this climbing wall to be better physically, and you're one of us, and so that's, that's really what it, well, I, all I needed. So I learned so much from them, and as that was happening, that's how God started using and removing those same-sex attractions. They started falling away. Then I had to work through those. Then I had to go back and get to some root causes that were very painful. The very causes I've just briefly, believe it or not, gone over or quickly gone over. Uh, there's some very root causes and root lies in, of the enemy, wounds, that, that caused me to believe certain things that led me into taking on a gay identity. And God took me through that process. It's a whole series of events and doing research and reading other people's stories and understanding and seeing and reading scripture and seeing God's design. And as those attractions fell away, what he didn't do was say, well, I'm going to shift your lustful things that you have for the same sex over here for, to women. See, that would be silly, right? So people who often say, well, I tried and tried and tried to stop being gay, but it didn't work. Often, it's because they're expecting the change to look like a, lust, a shift in lust, an uh, object of lust. It's very different. God worked deep, deep, deep stuff in the heart and changed those feelings to bring forth this, this healthy attraction to women that could turn to lust. I'm not high and mighty, but he's given me such a different eye, such a different feel, such a different viewpoint. And in that process, 
he actually then had to start working on me as a man. See, homosexuality was something that I saw as core, but God didn't see it. It's like, we got to get rid of that so I can get to the core of who you are as a man so I can really use you. I need to work on that prideful thing. I need to work on those insecurities. I need to work on the passive-aggressive stuff and that little anger thing you've got going on. I need to work on all of that. That was the hard part because it still is going on, obviously. In this journey... It was about a year after that that I had been started going to church at 360 Church in Sarasota, Florida, and they were growing. The pastor kept coffee, and he said, Jim, we're growing. I, we're about to launch small groups. I've seen your administrative skills and your willingness to serve. I know your, his, you know, your work history. I, I, I know your story and your heart. Would you want to be on staff? What? See, I thought I was out of that game. I thought I was limited, limited my opportunity to serve God. But God doesn't look at my past. He looked at my future. He looked at the redemption, the work he wants to do in me and said, the calling didn't go away, kid. Are you ready to step in? What grace. What grace. So the message here is this. And I stepped on. And then God started working me more as a man and really developing. Gave me the opportunity to minister to, to the body of Christ within the context of that church. I, we, were, we developed and I worked with small groups, discipleship, the care ministry, and from that emerged sort of a more pastoral heart. I was six years into that when a uh, guy from ABWE came and said, we're working on a seminar that's going to help the average person in the pew build grace and truth relationships with LGBTQ individuals. My sister, Doug said, comes to your church. She said, you might be able to help me with this. So we started developing the seminar. And then he said, come on, be on staff. Be up, come with me. And, and, and do this full-time ministry. So I got the broader ministry and learned so much from that. And now I get to do this. So I get to walk with parents who are Christian, who have children that are in the gay identity, and they're, some of them are estranged, some of them aren't, but I get to help them navigate some of that, bring them together so that they can minister to one another from all over the country through Zoom. I get to work with people who struggle with unwanted same-sex attraction. Because, listen, I'm not going to go into a gay bar and say, you need to stop being gay. Come on, let me help you. That's not the point. The point is when God grabs hold of somebody and they want to follow him and honor him, somebody's got to walk with them that understands some of the uniqueness of that. Then once they find that healing and start working toward that, they can find their place in the larger body of Christ in a healthy way. And that's where other people take over. So it's just such a joy. This is not about trying to go to your gay friend and say you need to be straight. This is not about pointing fingers. Remember, when somebody doesn't know Jesus, the goal is to introduce Jesus to them, not change their lifestyle or their mindset. Let's not get caught up in the arguments that don't really ever going to go anywhere because God loves and Jesus died for us all. And somebody who doesn't know the Lord is not going to understand our terminology about loving them. It doesn't make sense to them. They're like, but how can you love me? You, you're against me. <laughs> you're a Christian. Well, we have to show them. Build relationships with them. Don't make it about the thing that, that we think it should be about. I'm a testament to what God does in people. And the reason that I share the story the way I do, the takeaway is this, I pray, is this, that you'll see God wants to use people just like you, you, in the lives of the unbelieving LGBTQ individual that's in your life or maybe coming into your life in some way or another. So my prayer is that you'll pray 
Let God work in your heart and trust him to see how that can work. I want to see those folks in heaven. Can we pray? Father, I thank you for the opportunity to share, and I pray that you were glorified in this. I certainly feel it. I'm the benefactor of your glory, your mercy, your grace. Would you move on hearts today? Father, would you open eyes? If there's anyone here who doesn't know you, Father, would you work in their hearts, draw them to you? Use the person sitting next to them even to speak to them about it. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here who doesn't know you, that they'll explore that option. I pray that anybody here who may struggle with same-sex attraction themselves, Lord, that they'll begin the journey of just looking to you and saying, I don't know what to do with that, but Lord, I need you. Because that's the starting point. And from there, you do the work. Lord, I pray for any heart here who has any bitterness toward anybody for believing differently, that you'll soften that heart and help them to realize that everybody on this earth is an image bearer that you created them for purposes. And it's up to us to be your ambassadors. We thank you. We praise your name, Jesus. For your name we pray. Amen.